Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and finally, the AFLW Grand Final is upon us. I don't think it was a grand final that a lot of people were expecting. It's third versus fourth for the first time in AFLW history, with North taking on Brisbane in the first grand final to be played in Melbourne since 2018. But more excitingly for this podcast, we have a brand new co-host, never before seen on this podcast. But if you are anywhere on AFL uh, social media pages and AFLW social media pages, particularly Facebook, then you know this name very well as the stats guru, uh, Lachlan Ethan Lachlan. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, and I look really forward to to the, this show and for a big week of football. Now, um, before we get started, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, um, so my name's Lockie, of course, Lockie Essen. Um, um, I'm a big football fan fanatic. Um, so you probably would have seen me throughout Facebook and everything like that. I love putting up stats, so and so, particularly for the AFW to try and sort of help grow more of an interest for people who are not quite sure about AFW or who are still learning about the game. Um, but uh, I've always been a footy fanatic since I was a young young kid. Um, what I'm doing, the stats, I'm a more 18 club sort of person. But when, I've, when I take my stats hat off, I'm a big Cats man. Mm. So uh, we were a bit stiff not to make it to the grand final, but that's another mm-hmm. story for another day. Um, but no, so football has been around my whole life. Um, I play football, I live it, I breed it. And, uh, and, you know, I'm very happy and very humble to help grow the AFW where I can, mm. uh, because I think it's very important to have a competition for girls to play this magnificent sport and this wonderful sport. Um, as I always say, um, it is the, it is the best sport in the world. Nothing can come near or compete with it. Um, and the best thing about AFL or Aussie rules football is doesn't matter who you are, or what race or gender you are, you can play this wonderful this wonderful game. And uh, and when AFLW has taken off, it also opened many other pathways for other people from different backgrounds, different uh, inclusion-wise to be part of. Um, and, that, and that's the best thing about what the AFLW has achieved as well open the diversity doors for many different people to play this game. And we've seen it with alongs with AFL wheelchair, AFL blind, and many other different codes uh, of sports as well. Um, but yeah, other than that, football is pretty much 98% of my life. So mm. <laughs> other than that, my life's probably not that too much of excitement. But no, I just live and breathe football 24-7. So you are extremely prolific in the stats game on social media and some of the stats that, that you produce are pretty incredible. But I, I do want to ask, where did the love for stats in particular come from? And also, where do you get your stats from? Is it is it, is it based on memory or do you read it off of the AFLW, uh, you know, stats pages for the games or, you know, whether you compare players and whatnot, or is it a bit of both? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, many people have asked me, you know, oh, how do you do the stats or how do you do it in, in some ways? 
So I sort of fell in love with the stats pretty much when I was about nine, ten years of age. And just in some ways, oh, you know, how many players have had so many kicks throughout the game? Um, you know, I just started off the simple sort of stuff because I follow the men's. Mm-hmm. And then once AFLW sort of came around, uh, by that stage, I was heavily involved in doing stats, you know, a bit of in the men's on spreadsheets and for a system I have on my computer or laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the AFLW came around, I was keen to sort of get involved, but it was a bit hard because there was nowhere to find any stats. There was only like one website or so that would have it, um, but sometimes they would be a bit inaccurate. And I thought, all right, well, there's nothing out there. Where, what, you know, one day someone's going to be asking for stats. Oh, who kicked the most goals in so and so match, or which team has the highest ever AFW score, or who's had the most ever disposals in a match? Mm-hmm. And that's why I thought, well, uh, time to put the research hat on and start digging around and just keep. Uh, find the stats and make sure they're accurate and put into like a database sort of or spreadsheets mm. um, and look at it now, like eight seasons in, uh, more and more people are interested in AFLW than ever before and it's just going to keep growing and more uh, fans want to know, oh, how many disposals or is this a new record and everything like that. Like you see it pretty much in every match when you go to a game. A lot of people still to these days ask, oh, is it the most tackles in a game? Is it the most marks taken in a game? And that's why I sort of help out uh, to, you know, solve that sort of mystery, to give the stats sort of instantly if anyone's asking for it, you know, because there are many people that are curious out there. You still see it in many articles and comments and on social media to this day. Many people want to know, but there's just not enough media coverage or people that will take interest in it. But give it another 10 more years or so, a lot more people will be asking for it and it'll just get bigger and bigger. And that's what that's why I thought, oh, oh, you know, something is fun just to, you know, because I watched pretty much every game since it first started. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought, oh, I'll just put a random step up at each game, you know, um, just to see if anyone likes it or just interested or it's just to give some fans something to, you know, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, you know, just a quirky stat of the day. And uh, it just sort of built on from there. And then pretty much every match after it finishes, I just put a random stat or two pretty much with every post of the A4W, something interesting so the fans can sort of engage it, learn something from it, and then they can take it back and share it with their friends and family. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it, and then it sort of really took off the, like, the last two to three years or so, seasons, I should say. Mm. And, uh, and a lot of people kept coming up. Or, you know, saying on social media, oh, you should start your own page. You should start your own page. Many of us want this type of stuff and if like that. And uh, and it, it took me a few months to sort of, oh, should I, should I not, you know, because do I have enough time, you know, and if like that. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it, you know, because many people need to know the stats out there and many people love AFLW and, you know, there's enough people doing the men's stats already but there's not enough people doing the A4W. And so I thought, why not, you know, give a, give a pathway and people for them to enjoy the stats. And uh, even many family members, you know, have even sort of said, Oh, has so-and-so broke the record at our club? You know, and like that, like some of them, everybody Malinoff's parents have even said, Oh, like, Mm. Oh, this is amazing. You know, stuff like that. We need more stuff like this. Mm. And, uh, and then I thought, Oh, I'll start the page up. I started late last year and then, um, and then it's just sort of put more posters up as the A4W season came closer. And then 
ever since then, it's, I just sort of put a few up throughout across the weekend and throughout the week weekdays, and, uh, and it's just really good to see people enjoy it. Like that's that's my main yeah. uh, target is just to see people enjoy it. I don't care if they sort of take the stat and use it for themselves, as long as they're using it, not you know not using it incorrectly. And that's why I make it very clear in these stats, you know, which code or which league, which mm. years it is from. Because if you look at some other people, they'll just say, oh, across history, or well, that can mean what you mean, the men's and the girls or, you know, and et cetera. So, mm. so in some ways, you got to be very careful when you do some stats like those, uh, particularly when you're doing it from both comps, from the men's and the girls. It's very important to be careful how you sort of say it how you sort of type it up and if like that, because one person can take it from another point of perspective and mm-hmm. then it can change the stat and make it look like incorrect. So you just got to be careful how you do it. But um, no, and, if, and I think to this day, a lot of people still enjoy it. Um, sometimes it may be like, for example, if it's a big margin game, there may be six, six really awesome stats from that game. But that's just because uh, the team has broken so many stats and that day and, and etc. So, um, but uh, no, I'm very happy to hear that you like it as well. And I'm just very happy that people are learning from it. That's the main thing I'm happy about. If you are on Facebook, dear listener, check out Lockheed's page because you will not regret it. If you like your football stats, particularly your AFLW stats, check his page out. It's incredible. Um, Lockie, I uh, I, I want to ask you. You mentioned the Brisbane versus Geelong game and the controversy surrounding that. We'll get stuck into reviewing that prelim final. It was an epic contest in the end with Brisbane just pipping the cats. I want to ask your opinion as to why you think the Lions ended up winning. Yes, it was a controversial goal um, goal uh, review or non-review in the AFLW. Um, that that probably cost Geelong in the end. But um, in your opinion, why did Brisbane come out on top? Uh, yes. Well, look, it was you knew it was going to always be tough up in Queensland. Uh, Brisbane, just you know, they're full of adrenaline and momentum. It's up there. It's a big occasion. They they always make it a special occasion every time they have a a game up there. And you knew they were going to come out blasting hard. And when Brisbane kicked the first goal, I think Geelong were like, oh, gee, we've, they, you know, they started off strong. And Brisbane, they were just, they were super tight around the contest. That pressure they brought onto Geelong mm. was amazing. Um, you know, it was through the roof early on. Mm. And uh, and people were like, oh, how, how long can Geelong keep it up? And Geelong, to its credit, they did really well to stay in the contest. A lot of teams would have been blown away from Brisbane's pressure tackling early on. Um, and Geelong just sort of, held steady they they did panic but they sort of just hang in there and then you know after quarter time you can see Geelong sort of recess and uh they played a lot better throughout the rest of the match even you know a few stages they looked like they were gonna steal it off from the lines even like late in the last quarter Geelong just had that sort of uh momentum even though in some ways they probably should have been like four goals down in some ways because the Brisbane just dominated most of the key statistics on the night um, but credit to Geelong, they help, they stay in the game for much periods of the game, and uh, it's a learning experience. Brisbane, you know, they had so many players who have played in such tight final scenarios. Compared to Geelong, you know, this is just, this is just their second preliminary final in their AFLW history, so they're going to learn a lot from it. 
they're going to get better off from this experience. And uh, and you you would expect from next year, if Geelong, when Geelong's in a tight situation like that, they'll be able to work their way through what to do, what they went wrong from this preliminary final. People talk about the goal review and everything like that, but also at the same time, when you you can also break parts from the other game. You know, you should have won that part. You should have done this and everything like that. So, look, many things went Geelong's way, didn't go that way. But at the end, it was just Brisbane's uh, finals experience that just sort of proved, you know, got them those few points at the end. Uh, it sounded like the other match in some ways. That match was a thriller as well, the Adelaide North. But with Geelong, they learned a lot out of it. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting Geelong to make it to the preliminary final. So that's a big, big win for Geelong this year. Uh, considering where they came from a few years ago, from you know back in 2021, they only had one one game for that year, and that was against the Wooden Spooners. To now a preliminary final, it's just a quite amazing what they have done. So they should be quite proud. And Brisbane, well, Brisbane Starsevich has just done an awesome job, considering the amount of players he lost early uh, late last year with Wardlaw, Bates, and Baldy. Mm-hmm. They're now into their fifth grand final. We'll touch upon the scoreboard briefly because we should mention it was Brisbane in the end, 6-2-38 to Geelong, 5-4-34 Brisbane through to their fifth grand final, which is an incredible effort. They did play in the last one, which was in Victoria back in 2018. They lost to the Dogs, going for their second flag. Um, and as you said, Geelong in their second prelim final, I thought they were great. Um, I'm going to throw some stats at you, Lockie. And um, if you if you, if you you want to correct me, Please do. Uh, I've put myself in a little bit of pressure here with the podcast episode with the stats guru of the AFLW world. But um, but I'll, That's I'll, all right. I'll, That's I'll try not to stuff up. I'll try not to stuff it up. That's all right. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Appreciate your positivity. Um, so uh, we'll touch upon, I think it was Brisbane's pressure. You mentioned uh, the, the pressure from Brisbane and it was really, really good. I'll say this. Geelong had in terms of their contested marking game, which I thought had been a real strength for you guys throughout the final series, they had just four contested marks from the game down from their season average of 7.2. 7.2 is the third best in the entire competition, not just in the finals, the entire competition. And Brisbane really restricted that. But the stats that's incredible for me is the fact that Brisbane won the disposal count 216 to 185, but they also won the tackle count 88 to 69. Normally, if you win the disposal count, it is really hard to also win the tackle count. And they won both of those very, very comfortably. The tackle count inside 50 was 23 to 6 in favor of Brisbane. They it was impossible at times for Geelong to exit a defensive 50, especially at the start of the last quarter. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like Brisbane had like seven or eight of the first 10 inside 50s in the last quarter. And that was it. That was basically, that was the game. Because Geelong just couldn't get it out of their back half. Um, Now, the number of inside 50s was also plus 12 inside Brisbane's, uh, in Brisbane's favour, which meant that they had more, they had more opportunities than Geelong to win that game. Geelong were restricted to just 22 inside 50s for the game. Their average for the year is 33.8. Now, I want to mention particular Brisbane players that I thought did a really good job on the tackling front. Three Brisbane players had 10 tackles or more for the game. Isabel Dawes had a great game. She had 14 
tackles in total, career best tackle numbers for her, her season average is 7.3 per game. She also had eight clearances, which is also a career high compared to her average of 2.4 per game. Uh, Kathy, uh, Kathy Spark uh, had 10 tackles in, in, in the game, also eclipsed her season average of 4.2 per game. And she also had three clearances compared to her season average of one. Ali Anderson, the other Brisbane player with 10 tackles um, and also beating her season average of six tackles per game. I thought that when Davidson went down in that third quarter towards the end of it, I thought that they were going to be in deep trouble because she is such a big physical presence. She marks absolutely everything. She throws her weight around. I thought that Brisbane were going to be in a lot of trouble, but the leaders, aside from Davidson, really stood up in that last quarter in her absence. Um, now, we you touched upon Geelong slightly. I do want to ask, do you think that there's any specific reason why Geelong ended up losing? Uh, I just feel like the, the one thing that a lot of people sort of didn't quite mention on the night, it was actually quite a warm sort of steamy night. Mm. So I, I felt like in some ways Brisbane are used to the climate, home ground advantage, that always sometimes helps. But sometimes in AFLW history, that hasn't always been the case. But I felt like just with a Brisbane crowd, it's a bit like in the men's with Collingwood. When you have that crowd right behind you, it just gives you that little boost. Mm. And when you're a away team, and I I know from experience from talking playing football, when you're away and you play against the home crowd, it, it can sort of it's in some ways it's a bit of sucks the life out of you towards the end of the game because you feel like oh gee well it's you're against this huge challenge, and uh, but you know I just feel like it was just the finest experience. There was a few things where I just noticed early on I was just like oh that's not how Geelong plays. There was quite a few fumbles and if like that like Brisbane pressure and late and tackling like you said and mentioned before was was for the roof um you know and it's very rare to have teams particularly in finals to win the disposal count and tackling mm. uh you know because normally it's the other way around but mm. that, Brisbane had a challenge you can tell throughout the best conference this week they they wanted to come out hard and they did mm. and I just felt like the experience made a huge difference um you know, if Anderson, Campbell, Campbell was great in the second half, particularly when Davidson went down, just to have, sort of help them give an option going back and forth as well. Um, and just a lot of things they did behind the scenes that you wouldn't sort of see uh, or you, that you wouldn't recognise too much on the stats-wise. A lot of players, the Lions, they just pushed back a little bit harder. So mm-hmm. every time when Geelong sort of went forward, there was always an extra Brisbane Lions player running down towards their goal square, just blocking that gap. And you saw early on, Geelong kept banging it in there. Brisbane had the numbers. That's because they just, you know, a few more pre-seasons under their belt, much fitter, great system tactics and uh, well organisations of communication. And Geelong did get there. They started to communicate a bit more throughout the match. But by that stage, Brisbane just sort of, you know, had that sort of lead and it was just enough for them just to get through the entire match. If Geelong had a few more minutes, it would have been another different story because Geelong had that momentum going into the, you know, forward line. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's the what ifs, you know, people always go, what, the what ifs, you know, Chris Barkers or the goal review. But uh, look, it is what it is. Mm. But uh, the Lions were just a better team on the night, mm. um, you know. But there was, a, you know, even some of Geelong's best midfielders, one player that really, 
probably had a match she wished she could have had a better or had another second chance was Amy McDonald. She was well kept out straight away in the first half. Mm. Um, you know, like Savak and some of the others just kept her well, well down. Like if you look in the first half, she only had three touches for the match. That's mm. extremely low for her. And you could tell Geelong really missed her uh, being the clutches in the midfield. It was left to Pisparkis and Mollison, which mm. even though themselves didn't have the huge impact as they would have helpful. Mm. Um, so it was just left to two uh, little few to set, a, set up for the Geelong. While mm. Brisbane, you had the, the old sort of experienced heads now. Dawes was amazing. Um, even her contested possessions, 18, that's amazing. Considering uh, the type of player she is, uh, you know, for her height, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, so she was in and under, rough as guts. And I felt like O'Dwyer was really good on the wings, just adding that speed. And uh, and early on, like she had about, you know, uh, nearly 400 metres gain pretty much right up to like half time. So she was on fire. So, yeah, it, it, Brisbane's experience was just too much for Geelong. But give it a year or two, Geelong, you'd help would go to the next stage. Hmm. I do want to mention um, a, a couple of senior players that I thought performed well, maybe not to their normal high standards, but, you know, in, in the context of the game and in the context of the Geelong team, I, I thought I thought they performed really well. They could hold their head high. Uh, Morrison had nine clearances as well as 20 disposals. She was one of the top five disposal winners on the ground, along with Georgie Presbarkis as well. It's the only two cats uh, in the top five disposal winners on the ground. I thought she had a great game, especially when you consider the fact that her clearance average per game this year is 4.8. Um, yeah. Another player I want to mention as well is Jacqueline uh, Parry. She's a, she's a player I've mentioned a bit on the podcast throughout this final series as one of Geelong's most prolific and consistent forward threats. And she again presented really well, kicked a couple of goals, which in a... Greenland final as tight as this could have made the difference in the end um, and and really kind of gave Geelong a great opportunity. I think, look, anytime you lose a final by a point or less, it wasn't by a point, let's say less than a goal, it's really unlucky. Um, but I genuinely think that the start of the last quarter, first five to ten minutes or so, it was Brisbane's win because, again, they just locked it inside 450 for most of it. And I also have to say that I think that the umpiring, and I got criticized by someone on social media for criticizing the umpiring, which I thought was very interesting. They said that my my comment criticizing the umpiring was very toxic. So let me let me preface this by saying that the umpires do a wonderful job. And I definitely could not do the job that they do, especially because their knowledge of the game is far uh, deeper than mine in terms of the rules and then um, how to actually operate it. Um, and, uh, well, let's just say I'm definitely not in the peak physical condition that I would need to be in in order to be an umpire. Um, with that being said, though, the last quarter, I thought Geelong were extremely unlucky with a lot of very touchy decisions that went against them that should have gone the other way. The amount of times that I think Brisbane got away with an incorrect disposal or holding the, or holding the player or you know, uh, throwing the throwing the footy, whatever it was, blatant free kicks that should have gone the way of the cats and didn't. And in a close game like this, 
some of those decisions can have pretty big ramifications. Now we'll never know exactly what you know the 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 decisions that were missed would actually um, end up uh, having an effect. If it went the other way, we will never know. But still, it was it was it was um, I think really disappointing to see the standard of umpiring across the weekend, but especially on Saturday night. Um, I do want to ask you before we go on to the North first Saturday game, Lockie, do you think that the AFLW should have a goal review system quickly implemented for the grand final? They've had offers. They've had offers from groups saying, look, we're happy to we're happy to give you the technology. We're happy to do it. Should they do it? Um, oh, look, I've, it's been debating for like the last few years or so. I, I saw that I think Hotspot offered to do their sort of like school review for the grand final. Yeah, I think it's in some ways it's a bit hard to do it now because people will sort of be going, oh, you're, only, you're doing it for the grand final now. Why didn't you do it at the start of the year? So I think probably best they won't do it for this grand final, even though who knows if it's tight, um, you know, you never know. But it's a bit like... I always come back to this before, you know, pretty much 2012, before the school review even existed. Uh, a lot, there used to be many, many goals and behinds used to get missed in the AFL. And uh, it's only because social media sort of come about now. We've got cameras all over the place. People pick up more and more than ever before. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like the AFLW. As more and more people watch it, you know, more and more people are going to notice some things that they should be doing this and, and if like that. I think the score, in my honest opinion, I think the score review should have been sort of there from pretty much once 14 teams sort of came in because you have more players coming in before, more people are working at the organisations or, you know, at the games. Well, before then, not so much because they didn't have the sort of staff or facilities. But also at the same time, um, some of these venues, they can't sort of do the score review. It's a bit hard to get the access to do it some of the goals and if like that, they don't have the sort of the cameras at all places. So you, that point you got to take consideration, but I would love to see it for definitely next year, the year after. Um, it's just, yeah, it's another what if sort of story, you know, I can understand why everyone's like it. And when it comes, when people, you know, same with the umpires, I just sort of stay out of it because I like hearing people's opinions and then, you know, I think about it, go away and think about it and then come back and sort of give um, my remark on it. But at the moment, I'm just like, look, yes, there definitely should be. But, you know, at some venues, you just can't. They just don't have the sort of resource to do it. So, um, but I'd love to see it be implemented in the AFLW sooner or later. We'll get stuck into the Sunday prelim. It's North Melbourne finally through to their first grand final, taking down the Crows 4-8-32 to Adelaide's 4-7-31. And for the Crows, second straight season of prelim final defeat after losing last year. My memory is to Brisbane. I might be wrong about that, but I do believe that they lost to the Lions in uh, last season's prelim final um i'll get stuck uh first into why i reckon north melbourne won and it's a stat that lucky i've talked about a lot with north melbourne 
and when they've had uh when they've lost this year and that is poor disposal efficiency when they are really really prolific and when they win by a lot like they did against Melbourne in the qualifying final their disposal efficiency number is pretty high when they lose like they did against Melbourne earlier in the year their disposal efficiency is very, very poor. So I figured that they probably needed a disposal efficiency of about 40% if they were to win this game. And they finished with 40% disposal efficiency. Now, they nearly stuffed the game up with four very gettable goals or shots on goals in that last quarter, right at the start of the last quarter. But Importantly, kind of like what Brisbane did the night before, they had repeated opportunities and that was because they set up a wall across the half forward line and they just had repeated, repeated, repeated uh, chances to to have to, to, to win the game and they gave themselves enough opportunities in the end to be able to win that. Now, this is interesting. Considering that they lost the hitouts by one really close still lots of hit outs their midfielders did really well to win the clearances by 12 and the stoppage clearances by 11 in their most disappointing loss of the year earlier against melvin north had just one mark inside 50 they had 16 for this game double that at the crows two players i want to mention uh half forward alice o'loughlin she had seven marks compared to a season average of 2.8 per game and 1.9 per game across her career since starting in 2021. And the other is Talia Randall, who I thought was the best player in this game. She had six marks and ticked two goals from four scoring shots. Could have had more goals, but still. Um, Her average mark count heading into this game was 2.5 per game this year. And across her entire career was 2.3 per game. Now, um, I also mentioned Emma King in a previous episode of the player who I thought needed to play well this September for North to have a chance. And though she didn't provide a great marking uh, marking threat inside 50 like I thought she could, instead she had six tackles inside 50, easily the the leading tackle getter on the ground uh, for the Kangaroos, which is twice more than the player ranked second in that category. Now, this North forward line is just so dangerous, especially from the likes of Jenna, uh, Jenna Broughton, who had 28 disposals, up from a season average of 21.7 per game. Ash Riddell, who had 25 disposals and, and six, and uh, laid also uh, uh, also laid a lot of tackles. And Jasmine Garner, who still had 22 disposals, which by her lofty standards was quite quiet, but she still had the fourth highest disposals uh, for the game across both teams. Now, that goal kicking is going to have to get fixed if they are to win the premiership against Brisbane. But they are finally, finally starting to click. What did you make of North Melbourne? Yeah, well, like some of the points that you made on, pretty much spot on. Like, you know, I agree with most of them. I thought Emma King needs to have a big finals series. Uh, she sort of did. Like, she provides them a great option down the line and if like that. And she was quite good to sort of help set up that wall late in the game. I was there watching live behind sort of near the coach's box and I was just very fascinated to see how well North set up the wall behind the behind the you know the inside fifty. And uh, it was all led by Emma Carney. Emma Carney, she's just a, a gun, you know, you need those type of players late in games to have an impact. And and she did. She was unbelievable. I thought she was quite she was probably the most crucial player for North in the last quarter. Uh, because without her, 
Adelaide would have easily got through that wall. She, if you look behind the scenes, she was just helping, pointing where everyone needs to go, where everyone needs to be. She was pretty much on an on-field coach for them. Like she had 19 disposals, you know, nowhere near what she used to have back mm-hmm. in her, you know, some of the early days. But she doesn't need to get those sort of like 20 plus disposals or anything like that. She just needs to get a few here and there just to guide them to the right space and category and everything like that. Like there was one section where she took a like an intercept late in the game and she just set up the kick. It was just a beautiful kick to North and North just sort of settled down. Let's go forward. Let's go sideways. Let's drain the clock and everything like that. So those little things that Carney does exceptionally well. And I just felt like in the last quarter, North were like, look, we're going to try and save this game. Um, if the ball keeps coming out, we're, gonna, we're just going to lock it. Try not to knock it out into silly spaces. We're just going to shut it. So it's a bit like what Collingwood did in their final series in the men's. Every t- Late in the game, Collingwood would not want to get it out. They just want to purposely just keep that ball in, lock it up, ball up, ball up, ball up. And then as soon as North or you know Collingwood got the sort of positions, they would then go forward and lock it in. And that's what North Melbourne did. And I thought it was it was very smart. Matthew Clark, who's a brilliant coach in my opinion, he had no answers. I mean, it was they were very lucky just to get a go in the last quarter because North was exceptionally well. Just like what you touched on, they just kept locking it in, had plenty of entries. They should have won pretty much like four goals in some ways because they dominated all those key statistics like you mentioned. Uh, when you're winning clearances like that, like 12 plus in some ways, you know, that, that's a pretty big win, winning clearance, particularly when you're going up against Malinoff, Hatchard and a few others in those midfield uh, like Melanoff and Hatchet are top class and to you know beat the clearances against them uh, is a really really impressive effort um, you know even and what's even more quite impressive about it it wasn't like Ghana had 30 so disposals like destroyed them in the midfield mm. she only had 22 but she kicked a vital goal but I just felt like Ghana was she played smart she knew she was going to get tagged in some ways and she knew she was going to be limited or restricted but she just stood up where you know, you expect a superstar would. So yeah. late in the quarter, Adelaide were coming hard. They were, you know, dominating the inside 50s towards the end of that quarter. They were really starting to get terms-wise in their game. Uh, Marinoff was starting to get a bit involved in the game. Thompson was great. Biddle was fantastic off half halfback. But who steps up? Garner steps up. She stays in the back line and intercepts a few marks. Caught for half time. She then comes out in the third quarter. And does her part, you know. So there's a few parts like that. I thought North were just sort of smart. And I think they even said to themselves, hey, we don't need players to get 30 sort of spells. As long as we all work sort of well together, uh, they no one can stop them. And, you know, credit to North's um, finalists. They've mm-hmm. got about, um, like I was typing up just before, they had about like four players compared to Adelaide who averaged over 20 disposals this year. Now, that, that's quite impressive considering, um, you know, the listers of AFOW are pretty strict now these days because, you know, they don't want all the best players going to one club. But that's because of the rise and improvement of Mia King. I thought she was quite handy on the wing in some points with 19 touches, just watching her behind the game, you know, 10 consistent possessions. Uh, Garner was good again considering no one is high, but she did enough. And if like that, Riddell, I thought Riddell was probably one of the best players definitely for North who she's just such a smart footballer just on the field where she runs her fitness is elite like she just keep running all day and she just sort of drained Marinoff and Hatchard all day like they just sort of couldn't keep up Hatchard got tagged 
well and truly easily out of the game. Like, I look at her stats after the game and she had 22. I wouldn't have thought that. I thought she she was nowhere to be cited in some way. She was lucky just to get that girl late in the game, but no one needs the impact. Malinoff would be right, but Malinoff, a lot of her wasn't as influential as you thought it would be. 12 tackles is a great effort, but I just felt like, uh, you know, something she just sort of did with the ball that some matches really um, killed Adelaide's momentum. And, uh, but I thought Bitter was one of the best players on the day, you know, 22 disposers, halfback, considering how much of the ball came inside North Melbourne's inside 50s, Bitter stood up really tall. And that's why she's an All-Australian. She just kept going and going and going. And I thought she was outstanding. Considering that Randall, you know, played really well, I thought Biddle did an extremely great job considering how much pressure they had with the inside fifties. And it's funny, like, you know, when they last time they met, North completely dominated in the inside fifties. And it was the same story. They just couldn't capitalize on the scoreboard. Um, you know, so it just goes to show North was sort of lucky, but also at the same time, North probably should have won by at least four goals. Like, um, you know, they just had all the momentum. But, uh, you know, and Adelaide would be ruined that, you know, finishing first as minor premiers and then losing that preliminary final where, you know, they were lucky just to sort of be in the game. But, boy, they'd be ruined that one. Uh, last year, they, was, they sort of limped to the line against the Lions up in Kurawa. Mm. But uh, this year, they just had a full adrenaline. I don't know what happened. Were they just tired or did the other teams just sort of outsmart them in terms of your know, game plan? Because we saw that with Melbourne. They just sort of got bullied around the stoppage and then the teams were just sort of home. And I just feel like it's an evolution of AFW for the next step because it's always been the Adelaide, Brisbane and Melbourne mob. Mm. The first time we saw someone outside that sort of mob take it away from them and that was North. And uh, and just hearing that crowd at the game was amazing, you know, and that's what I sort of come back to like earlier before, you know, if someone said to you, uh, or to an Annie Footy fan eight years ago, hey, we're going to have about, you know, 6,000 people watching a for w game. I think people would have gone, oh, no way, you're crazy. a for w girls can't play footy. Yeah. Well, they certainly can. And uh, we saw it on the weekend. That vibration, when you're there at the game, that vibration from the crowd, it's electrifying. It's amazing. And that's why this the grand final sold out, because people want to see girls play football. And we're seeing that with community-wise girls are playing more footy than ever before and the players are just getting better and better and that's why we're seeing new teams now like North Melbourne come through up the ranks mm-hmm. uh, because players are getting fitter and stronger and everyone's finally sort of caught up to these free experienced teams that have dominated the league for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at Melbourne, they completely dominated every team this year. Then they ran into Adelaide and then after Adelaide, they were never the same again. And then North, that first week of the finals, people kept saying to saying, oh, North, they're just sort of that fourth team in the on the ladder. They just they're the fourth best finals team. They they're just they're gonna get bullied by Melbourne. Well, they put the foot down on Melbourne. They said, No, we're gonna be we're gonna take control and be the next team. And they certainly did. And then it sort of gave the blueprint to Geelong. Mm. And uh, and that's why it's such amazing win for North, considering if it was one point or more, it's a mammoth considering what North's been through in the men's of the last few years, 
it just goes to show, hey, you may have the worst men's team or the low ranked team in the competition, but the girls can be the opposite. We can, you know, be the best team in the comp. And uh, and I think credit to them, you know. They've built a great they've uh, they've built a great culture at North Melbourne. That is for sure. Now I do want to mention with the Adelaide Crows, um, an interesting stat here. Now, granted, Ebony Marinoff had twelve contested possessions and Hatchard had eleven, despite those two players having pretty good games contested possession wise. Out of the top ten contested possession winners on the ground, seven of them were North Melbourne players. I mentioned the coverage and the clearance numbers earlier, Lockie. Um, You cannot lose the stoppages and the clearances as well as the contested possessions as comfortably as Adelaide did and expect to win. Because when your opponent gets to jump on you at the coalface with more clearances, more stoppage clearances and more contested possessions, you are then from that contest onwards essentially playing catch-up throughout the entire afternoon, just constantly chasing. Now, I do want to mention, and I've touched upon this with the Geelong loss, but this even more so for Adelaide, the fact that they didn't have a legitimate opportunity to kick a goal in the last quarter until a minute and a half to go, for me, goes to show that they could not get through North Melbourne's full ground press defense, and I thought North did really well with that. But it took a great mark by Ann Hatchard, easily my, my highlight of the final series so far, great specky, for Adelaide to end up kicking that goal and getting within that point. But you're right in saying that North probably should have won by a lot more, given the fact that they had four scoring shots at the beginning of that quarter. And I just want to say, I hope, I hope that the Hatchard mark does not go the way of Brendan Goddard's grab in the 2010. 20- Grand final yes. replay. Great finals mark in an important stage in the game where ultimately the team that they played for ended up either losing or in St. Kilda's case, the drawn grand final not winning. And therefore it doesn't get remembered as well as say the Leo Barry grab that everyone remembers because it's one's one. Yeah. Now, um I hope, I hope that doesn't happen because it was a great, a great grab and she may have had a, a you know a subpar game by her standards but that was incredible and it was great although the 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 playing on from the goal square when you're in that position surrounded by that many defenders could have really backfired on her but thankfully for her it didn't uh and she was able to kick that goal great moment though great grab and I think it's the second best grab of the season aside from obviously Courtney Hodder's Unbelievable Jonathan Brown-esque mark. Clear mark of the year, uh, mark of the year winner, I think, for my mind. And Caitlin Greiser, the goal of the year winner as well. Before we get stuck into the grand final, thoughts, uh, Monique Conti winning the AFLW Best and Fairest, first Richmond player to do so? Uh, in some ways, she's just a gun. There's just no other sort of words to describe her. She's just been a gun from get-go. Mm. Um, you can understand why Richmond gave up a lot to get into the door. And, uh, you know, and she's just proved evidence. She's just a freak of nature, but she's also so professional as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's just, every year, she just gets better and better in every, or oh, one of her main key statistics. This year, or the last few years, what I've, I've been really impressed with her, she's dominates in the midfield, but if you look in the early years of the AFW, a lot of midfielders really struggled to find that sort of scoring and dominate in the midfield. 
And we're starting to see now more than ever before midfielders trying to kick more goals. You know, everyone wanted to be, oh, look at Phillips. Phillips is averaging like 20 plus so disposals, but like two goals a match. And midfielders were like, oh, you got to try and implement that in your game to take it to the next step. And we've seen it in the, like the last few seasons with Elise Parker's tried to do it, Malinoff, Hatcher. Uh, and Conti did do that, you know, and Conti, and that's what made her really stood out. And the last two years or so, for her to get 15 plus votes is it, quite an incredible achievement. You know, it's very hard to get to get the W votes. If you ask Garner, she'll, she'll tell you uh, it's very mm. hard to get W votes. But no, Conti is just an unbelievable player and she'll easily go down as one of the all-time greats of A4W. It's very early, and the scary part is she's only 23. Mm. So who knows? By 33, she could have 10 Best and Ferris and three Best and Ferris awards. But, uh, no, nah, she's been amazing ever since from get-go. From, eight, from the young 18-year-old who won Best on Ground when it was the first ever Grand Final Victoria mm. to now win the league Best and Ferris is an incredible achievement. And, uh, and, and she deserves it because she's just, and she's also a wonderful person as well. It's like, you know, she just, she's amazing on field and then she's amazing off field, inspiration and role model to young girls coming through in basketball and football. Mm. And it's very rare to see footballers now these days uh, uh, dominate in two sports. You know, Eva Phillips was the main hallmark, but Conti, for her to still doing that, considering now AFA does become a bit more and more full time is an incredible achievement. Um, you know, like, you know, there's some other players who really also have great years as well that many people were a bit surprised. Amy McDonald equals second, which I think many people were a bit surprised, but, uh, and, and people sort of asked the question, oh, how come Garner didn't get as many votes? Well, it, it doesn't help when you've got another great teammate who's Ash Riddell, who dominates in the midfield with you. Um, so, you know, and, that, and that's the other part people have got to take in consideration. There's a lot of partners sort of uh, duo who dominate in the midfielders at a lot of clubs. And Geelong is like the same thing. People sort of said, oh, Nina Morrison didn't vote well. Well, that's because you got Pisbarkis, McDonald, all playing the same midfield together. Uh, it's a bit like Adelaide, you know, if if Malinoff was just there, in some ways Malinoff probably would have won, you know, who knows. So it, it's it's quite a fascinating when you come to awards night because you don't know who to, who you're going to expect to win. Mm. And we saw that last year with Ellie Anderson. She won with 21 votes. This year, Conti makes a new record, 23 votes, the most ever scored out of 30 votes. That's incredible. And... Um, yeah, so and it just goes to show players again fitter, stronger, and you wait, it will keep growing and growing. Players will get better and better. And, you know, in 10 years' time, we'll be going, oh, Conti was a good player, but so and so now is, you know, could be better than her. So who knows what's, what can lead us in the next 10 years or so? Um, you know, it's just really good to see that these young players now coming under under 18 competitions are really taking grasp of the AFLW. Um, which is really good. Um, it does wonder of confidence for them. And also just goes to show our, power, our talent pathways are really healthy and strong. Mm. Now, uh, we'll get stuck into the grand final. Uh, it is the first AFLW grand final in history without one of the two top sides 
playing in it. And I believe that stat is courtesy of your good self, Lockie, if I remember nice. properly. Uh, it's a great stat, one of one of many that you have uh, that you have put on social media over the years. Again, dear listener, this is your reminder to go and check out Lockie's page on social media. But we'll get stuck into a little bit of the round four action when these two teams played each other early in the year. Down in Tasmania at UTAS Stadium, it was the Lions by two points, 5-5-35 to North, 5 33 and it was the first loss that North Melbourne had all year and the 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 first of two losses where really it could have gone either way they lost the game late in the year Nim Kelly kicking that goal to, to win the game for the Crows this was the other game that they really 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 could have won I don't know about you Lockie but for me this game hinges on Dakota Davidson considering that she is Brisbane's leading goal kicker this year 21 goals kicked in the season, she's averaging 1.9 goals a game, 4.8 marks a game, and 1.5 tackles a game. It's not just the fact that she kicks a lot of goals. It's also her physicality. She drops everything. She throws her body around. She tackles. She splits packs. That being said, though, unless I'm mistaken, she actually didn't play for Brisbane against North earlier in the year, and they managed to find a win. Though they won, they only recorded one mark inside 50 for the rest of the game. So how on earth can you win when you only have one mark inside 50 for the game when North had a similar number and lost poorly against Melbourne? And that number is, and that is the result of their tackle number. They had 23 to 11 tackles inside 50 and recorded 94 tackles to 79. Brisbane's average tackle count in 2023 is 76.3 per game. Now, they had such a comfortable win in the tackle count despite only losing the disposal count by two, and they won the uncontested possessions count. Courtney Hodder, a player I want to mention, and I've mentioned her before this season on the podcast, had a career-high 13 tackles herself compared to a season average of 7.5 per game. Kathy, uh, Kathy Tvark had 11 tackles compared to a season average of 8.5 per game. Isabel Dawes, again, had nine tackles compared to her season average of 7.3 per game. Orla O'Dwyer had nine tackles compared to a season average of 4.7 per game. Now, those are just some Brisbane players that either outperformed their season average or got very close to doing so. Now, in their three losses this year, North have lost the inside 50 tackle count, 45 to 56. For me, Brisbane has to out-tackle North. We know how poor North's disposal efficiency inside 50 can be. But for me, there's another interesting stat hiding right behind this one, and that is that North, in two of their three losses, actually won the clearance count. Across their three losses, they had 89 clearances compared to their opponent's 74, meaning in the coalface, in the contest, in the heat of it, North comes out on top. So North often wins when they lose. They win the footy at the contest in the face of their opponent, but then they got out-tackled and they lost the footing, they lost possession of it, and it took a while to get it back. Against Adelaide, North stepped up the tackle count. Now, granted, they did lose the tackle count, still 72-53. to 53. Against Melbourne, on the other hand, they recorded 104 tackles in a game, which is insane. 104 tackles in any level of football, doesn't matter, men's, women's, any competition in the slightest, is an insane amount, especially when you consider that average is 74.3 per game this season, North Melbourne. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. 
it's incredible. Uh, it's incredible. So, so for me, for me, I'll just I'll just touch upon this, right? If Dakota Davidson plays, it will be Davidson down one end and Randall down the other, and I think that is going to be the 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 battle that is going to decide this. They've kicked twenty one goals each this season. Now Davidson averages, granted, slightly better numbers, but she is injured. And she is such an important player for them. The next closest line in terms of the most goals kicked this year is Sophie Conway with 12. She's had 49 scoring moments across this year, Davidson, placing her equal 18th in the cop in the competition and easily the Brisbane player with the most this year. She is so important to Brisbane's structure. If she plays, this game is a genuine 50-50. If she doesn't, North Melbourne will win. What do you think about this matchup? Um, well, you're pretty much you're spot on with everything. Uh, I pretty much agree with most of the stuff. You pretty much could have said it better myself. Uh, pretty much most of the stuff you said, I was going to say anyway. So, oh, no, I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry for jumping in. I apologize. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. You know, I love it. You're, you love the stats and, and, you know, we need more people like that as well. But it just goes to show, uh, you know, you're spot on, you know, with the tackling, the pressure and effort like that. Davidson's a critical, critical part to lines and structure and if like that. Uh, you know, both you know, both key forwards are having a career, career high goal kicking tallies, you know, twenty one goals each. It, it's it's unbelievable, you know. Um Davidson is Davidson for me is like a confidence sort of player. You know, I, I've watched her closely at i get some games live. If she's if her confidence is a little bit down, the lines would be down. And I remember when she played against I think it was Hawthorne at Frankston Park. Uh, you know, she didn't have the best games of her career. And and you can tell early on the Lions are very sluggish. They didn't play as what they did. But then as Davidson got in the game, the Lions sort of got into the game and started dominating. And then when she got on a roll, um, the Lions got on a roll. So it's a bit of a confidence monumentum. And when you have a player like that, that, you know, loves having a joke or two, gives the crowd up and about, you need that top mm-hmm. player. So with Davidson being out, it's a huge loss. It's a huge loss. And I, I'm like you, North would be definitely the favourites to win and I would be backing North to win. Yeah. But then again, if I've learned anything from Brisbane from their coaching tactics, and Sarsavis is a very, very smart coach. He's got a very great coaching system and everything like that. He'll figure out a way to not just to make it all about the keys then. He'll he'll bring the pressure from the smalls. And Hodder is a masterclass uh, when tackling inside 50s. Like, she's going to break the AFLW record this weekend for most tackles inside 50. So she just needs one more. So it just goes to show, like you, you saw early on against Geelong, she was on. She got two players tackled in pretty much inside 50 straight away. And, you know, the commentators just sort of like, wow, look at how to go. You know, you can't – you cannot uh, – worry about her when you're in the air because before you know it, she's already running away kicking the goal. So, you know, that game back in Tassie, it may have been all north in some ways and lines, you know, were sort of outclassed, but it was just the lines. If you look at the statistics, the lines like uh, inside 50 uh, tackling count, uh, I think it was through the roof. Like, you know, they sort of just sort of dominated and just sort of apply their pressure onto um, North, like they had about 23 tackles to 11. Now that that's quite impressive, um, you know, and that's where the pressure comes from. And if you can have that pressure in your forward line, 
before you know, you don't need to rely on players taking big clunk marks. All you have to do, it's a bit like what Richmond did back in the men's a few years ago. You never saw them taking huge clunk marks from Rewa or Lynch. They used to kick it purposely on the ground for the smalls to do all the hard work because they knew their pressure and tackling and their crumbing work would be greatly appreciated than the opposition. Mm. And if you can get that edge on North early on, regardless if Davidson's not there or she is, if North feel like, oh, where's my oppos- where's my opponent? If you get that sort of mindset into the players of North early on, it's going to be a long draining day for North's defense. And I felt like early on when they did when they played against Adelaide last week, they didn't have that sort of mindset going, oh, where's um, where's so and so? Where's Charlton? Oh, where's Ponter? Now credited Ponter throughout the game became more of a threat, and North were more worried about her. But other than that, North didn't have to worry too much about the other forwards. Like if you look behind the scenes, North sort of went, okay, we'll drift off from our Adelaide opposition forwards because we know they aren't going to get it and they haven't been much of a threat. But against the Lions, if they get that sort of mindset going, oh, I can't leave, uh, you know, I can't leave Hardo by herself. I can't leave Pultz by behind or Conway because they're smart footballers to get in the right spot, but their pressure is elite and they're speed-wise. So if they get that sort of mindset early on, Brisbane will be in the game, you'd think, for most of the game early on with Davidson or not. But... If Davidson's not there and Brisbane doesn't give that sort of sense of pressure like they're going to give hell to North for all day, then North should, you know, not comfortably, but they should, you'd think, win it in sort of an arm wrestle, like by 15 or so. Um, it's a bit like what um, Melbourne did to Adelaide a few years ago. Melbourne came to the grand finals, the heavy sort of underdogs, um, and Adelaide just sort of made them go, oh, let's give them the pressure. They didn't dominate everything. But they just gave the sort of sense to Melbourne defenders going, oh, where's where's my opponent? Where's Ponta? You know, stuff like that. Where's Phillips? You know, and everything like that. If you get that sort of mindset into them, the defenders are going to have a long day and it drains you. It's a mental capacity sort of game and it's clever tactic, you know. Um, So that's, in my opinion, I love watching all the statistics that don't get mentioned as much. They're sometimes my favourite ones to keep an eye out and talk about. Pressure, one percenters are my favourites because it's all the little things that you wouldn't see that sometimes a stat sheet would record. Um, and that's why another player that should get high praise is Jasmine Ferguson. She just does all the little things right in the defence as a key defender, just gets the one percenters, right spaces. And you think if Davidson's playing, you'd think Ferguson would go on her, which would be a great, great matchup. Mm. Um, and if like that. But also Davidson is one of the best markers in the competition. Like she's up there, like in the top two for marking consistently and, and marking around all rounds of the field. So it's a huge loss because if Brisbane need to get out of defense quickly, Davidson's there to get them a get out of the jail sort of card. Yeah. Um, so it's a fascinating thing. Sometimes, uh, like I've seen in the past, we all sometimes expect the big players to sort of step up, but sometimes it's those Lee, those less known players it's their chance to step up. And you, we've seen that across the final series where some players, you like, like Perry in some ways, she went from sort of average at Melbourne and then now she's above average and one of the Geelong's best finals players. You know, So this is the time where you start to see these players that you don't talk as much really step up and really get more highlights on them. Um, so that's the thing I always find curious to see. You know, We always expect the superstars to rise. But like you mentioned, um, 
from last week's game with North and Adelaide, at least O'Loughlin had a great game, you know? So it's it's all those little things, the less known players. It's a huge chance for them to step up. And in my opinion, if the less known players are the bottom tier tire players of the list, if they step up and play, do they all their parts, whoever will, does it better than the other teams will win the grand final. And we've seen that in the past. The player may only have like six touches, but they did all those six touches perfectly or they were in the right space throughout the match or did all the one percenters. So it, it's fascinating. When you when you think so much about it, there's a lot more you sort of break down and there's a lot more you could talk about. And you could be here all day because it's such a, a great game because both teams sort of play differently. They love playing aggressively and hard, but when David, if Davidson's out, oof, it really makes the game interesting to see what happens and who would Brisbane bring in. Mm. I want to ask your opinion. Best player on the ground. Who do you think? Who do you think it's going to be? And who do you think is going to win? Uh, I need, I need, I need a team, and I need a margin. Oh, um, if that. Well, look. Could I give sort of two different versions if Davidson's not playing, or do sure. I have to give? Sure, go. Uh, if if Davidson doesn't play, I'm going to say North by fifteen, yeah. and for, and for best on ground, I'm going to. I think it's Jazzy Gardner's year. She's just incredible. She's just a, she's just a beast. Like she's just awesome. You know, she just does everything right. She doesn't make a big name of herself. She just gets the job done, yeah. and. Uh, you know, she's just an incredible footballer. And what she does behind the off scenes as well, she's just an amazing character and player and person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, and I hope North does win because it does good for the competition that we see sometimes new faces um, and it helps these clubs that have sort of been sort of those mid-tier clubs to get more better players in. And North's sort of been like that. North sort of had those players that from other clubs that have come in to help them boost up and for North to do it uh, would be a quite an amazing story to tell considering what the men's the last few years have gone through. Uh, but if Brisbane win it, whoever wins it, it's quite an amazing story anyways, because Brisbane, they're into the fifth grand final. They've been sort of held back losing so many players as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for Queensland state's team, you know, everyone thought, Oh gee, when Queensland came into the AFW when the competition first started, they'd be like second wooden spooners. Well, they made it to the grand final that year. So uh, so it's it's also another incredible story from the Lions. You know, everyone thought they'd be dropping out of the top four with no Wardlaw, no Bates, no Bodie. Mm-hmm. And here we are again. But if Davidson does play, um, oh, then it just sort of, sort of comes down to, well, who would you like to help to see win? So that I'd still go with North, but gee, it's, it would be very tight, you'd think. Uh, what about yourself? My answer for winner and margin, I'm going to keep uniform across both, you know, situations, whether Davidson plays or not. I'm going to say North Melbourne by 10 points. And I agree with you, Jasmine Garner, to get best on ground. Mark my words, she'll get 30 plus disposals, five clearances and at least five tackles. And she'll kick a goal as well in a truly match winning performance it should be a blockbuster afternoon on sunday get down to icon park 
in Melbourne to watch AFLW if you get the opportunity or watch wherever you can on streaming services or whatever TV channel will probably be on seven. Um, Lockie, thank you so much for being on this episode. It's been a blast having you on, talking football and talking sports with you. It's been an absolute pleasure and I hope to have you on again sometime soon. No worries. Thanks for having me on and keep up the good work. I love listening to your podcasts, so keep it up and uh, keep sharing the word and get to the AFLW grand final, eh? Very much appreciated indeed. Dear listener, thank you for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. We've got one more AFLW episode in store. Next week, we will review the AFLW grand final and we will discuss either the Brisbane Lions second AFLW premiership or the first AFLW premiership draped in royal blue and white. Until then, my name is Casper McLeod. Sayonara.